tokusatsu, taking the form of many shows including Super Sentai, Kamen Rider, and Metal Heroes. And today, a group of fans come together to review it for you as Toku Secrets. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Toku Secrets Podcast, presented by AnimeSecrets.org. I am your host, Nathan Nassau. And today, after much, uh, after many obstacles, and uh, among other things, we are finally returning to our samurai journey, where we are, where today we are going to take a look at Shinkinger Acts 22 through 33. Um, and of course, we are not taking this journey alone. I am Nathan Desai, Shinkin Silver, and we have two other samurai here with us. So go ahead and uh, say, hey guys. Hey, so I'm Rizwan Sinkin Black, and I'm joined by... And I am Shikin Green. Anthony, nice to meet you guys. Unfortunately, uh, our other samurai, Patrick, uh, can't make it with us, uh, can't make it with us today here, um, but he will hopefully be back for the next one, um, just dealing with some uh, personal issues. Uh, we wish him the best on that. <clears throat> he better be back. He has to hear my hot takes on the hot garbage. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, so we got a lot to cover because uh, you may have noticed we're covering like uh, like 11 or 12 episodes here. A lot of things are going to happen in all of these episodes, so we're going to jump in. Uh, we're going to give a brief recap on what happened with the episodes we reviewed last time, though. So uh, in the Shinkinger section, uh, to cut a long story short... There was a two-parter where it was revealed that Takeru Shinken Red has a secret power that can seal away Dokoku, the leader of the Ghetto Shu. At the end of that two-parter, the Shinkenders were able to combine Dai Tenku with their Shinkano to form Tenku Shinkano. A couple of episodes later, there was a sushi seller named Genta Yumemori, who was a childhood friend of Takeru that has created his own electronic Mojikara and is becoming and has become Shinken Gold, and joined the Shinkenters. Genta has the Ika Origami, a squid, for non-Japanese speakers, which uh, he received from Takeru. He created his own Ebi, or Lobster Origami, which transforms into its own warrior mode, warrior mode Dakayo. And uh, when we last left off with the Shinkenters, we had... It was basically a brief crossover with Common uh, Rider Decade and Common Rider D End when those two unknowingly entered their world and they assisted them battling against the monster wielding D End's powers. Then uh, Riz, uh, Anthony, and I finished our journey with Decade and threw a celebration because we don't have to deal with that hot mess anymore. It was not fun. Um, and here we are. We're back to Shinkenger. So. Like I said, we got a lot to cover here, so uh, let's jump in. Uh, we'll, I'll just give brief uh, talks on the episodes. Um, there's a couple of multi-part episodes here, like two-parters, so I'll just we'll comment on the uh, plots as they go on, and we'll give commentary. Uh, the first episode that we're covering is called Lord Butler, uh, which is a filler episode that is revolving around Kotoha, uh, Shinken Yellow. Um, in this episode, uh, one of Genta's regular customers, Yoshi, is that—he's uh, this rich kid that is constantly having women chase after him, so they, you know, to try and get engaged to him because you know 
they want his money and everything. Um, and he wants the women to stop chasing after him. So Genta comes up with a scheme where he has Kotoha pose as this rich girl and Takeru is acting as her butler and, you know, Kotoha is supposed to pretend to be his uh, fiancé so that the women will stop trying to pursue him. Um, unfortunately, uh, the Yoshi actually ends up falling in love with Kotoha for real because Kotoha is not like the other women. You know, she's you know, more of a, you know, everyday person compared to his high-class, rich, um, rich person attitude. Uh, Kotoha, meanwhile, feels guilty because she's forcing Takeru to act as her servant for the ruse because Kotoha really looks up to Takeru. Um, Yoshi um, falls in love with Takeru, I mean, falls in love with Kotoha and the ghetto shoe of the day, I can't remember his name is feeding off of his love, you know, to kind of uh, con all threatening to kill him. So Kotoha pretends to be this stuck-up uh, stuck rich girl by slapping Takeru and, you know, criticizing him, which causes Yoshi to lose his love for her. He frees him for the Ghetto Shoe's grip, and then the Shinkinger's defeat the Ghetto Shoe of the day, and the episode ends with uh, Yoshi leaving Kotoha and... Um, there being hints that uh, Kotoha has a thing for Takeru. Um, pretty standard filler episode, but uh, I think uh, Anthony and I are curious about what Riz has to say about this episode, because before we started recording, Riz said he really liked this, so I'd like for you to just take the floor, Riz. Yeah, to my <laughs> shock, I was like, what? Man, y'all are put me on the spot here. Okay. So, this episode... I liked it because first I like Kotoha a lot as a character. She's a great character. Anytime you can get a lot of time with her on the screen, it's a win for me. But that's not the only win I've seen in this episode. So before the, before this review began, I told Anthony and Nathan I liked Lord Butler as an episode quite a bit. And Anthony's response immediately was, I know why, and that snarky know-it-all voice and i'm like oh really do you because i don't think you do and he's like yeah because you like seeing Takara get hit around a lot and just laugh i'm like that's actually not why i liked it however i will say it was fun to watch i liked seeing him get slapped but that wasn't why i liked the episode the reason i like this episode is because finally after 21 episodes of Takaru being hot garbage he finally thinks about somebody that's not Takaru, and he's finally not selfish. He literally tells Kotoha, hey, you, got, you can't think about me all the time. You have to do what feels right to you, and you don't owe me anything. You don't have to um, consult me on every little thing. And that, when I was watching the episode, at first it felt out of character for him. Because I'm not used to him doing this. I'm not used to him being considerate. I'm not used to him being amicable with his teammates. Normally, they're not teammates. He's, he's the Lord. They're the retainers. And he kind of keeps a distance from them. But in the subtle body language you see throughout the episode with him and Kotoha, you can see a fondness for members of his team, which is not something you really see a lot of 
prior to this episode. I mean, you see it really sporadically, but his character development took a major hit, in my opinion, during the decade crossover. He kind of devolved back to being um, less of a team player, less um, reliant on his team. So it's refreshing to see for the first, like him, what I'm hoping at this point, as of watching episode 22, that this is the beginning of him growing up and realizing that his teammates are not just his vassals, but they're also his comrades, his, maybe his friends. I mean, if, if we want to go that way, I mean, they don't have to be friends, but obviously when you have a Sentai team or a Power Ranger team, it kind of helps when the team is all friends with each other. It just gives a better dynamic, in my opinion. Um, so, Takaru has grown a bit here. I love the character development. It's really subtle. Um, so it's more organic to me that in that aspect. It's not forced. It's not a sudden thing like, oh, look, Takaru in this one scene has done something. But throughout the entire episode, you can see Takaru... Um, kind of sowing a bit of compassion and he he didn't act like complete hot garbage. So, yay? That's pretty interesting, actually. I didn't really look at it like that. Uh, yeah. How did you look at it? No, 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 no. I, I mean, I thought it was a great episode. I just... Uh, I didn't see, you know, I didn't catch on to that subtle character development like you, so. Well, yeah, that's so pretty neat. I have Takaru under a huge magnifying glass right now because well, you, guys, you guys professed him to be a really good red. And up until right now, in my opinion, he's still mediocre. Like, this one episode does not make him a great red. It makes him an okay red. It makes him a red that I can get along with, but it's baby steps to me. So what would it take for you to be like, wow, like he actually like grew, he's growing on me. Like what, 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 it, what would it take? Consistency. If, if this carries on throughout the rest of the episodes, and he, he continues to show he can be a true red. And Okay, so let, let's talk about that for a second. What defines, in your two opinions, a true red? Hmm, that's actually a good question. Because yeah, if, you, if you look at Sentai, if you look across Sentai, you're going to see a lot of different kind of reds. You're going to see the marvelous, stoic, badass. You're going to see the hot garbage that is uh, Nininja Red, who is utterly irredeemable. You're going to see the happy-go-lucky um, Daigo and Kia Razor, um, but who can also get serious when he wants to. And you're going to see the calm, collected... Um, what was his name? And uh, Zeozer... Uh, Yamato. Yamato. Yamato is a, another fantastic red to me, but th- these reds all have different traits. But in my opinion, 
if you may, there's a red standard that I think the reds to be measured against. And in my opinion, that standard is you are a natural born leader. You understand the role given to you by wearing the color red. Or in the case of Zen Kaiser, white, I guess, whatever. Um, you, you are courageous, but not reckless. You're willing to put yourself in danger for others, but you're also co- uh, collected enough to think of yourself and others with varying degrees of compassion. So, for example, one thing about Marvelous that I loved about him is that he always tried to sacrifice himself for his team. He, he was always there for them in his own way. He may have been a jerk in the way he comes off, but end of the day, when it came down to it, he cared for his team. And that was his family. And he wanted to make sure that his team, while they were fighting valiantly, that no harm came to them. And with Takaru up until now, yeah, he had some sporadic development where, yeah, he got along with a character for a little bit, but then he devolved back and started beating on Siaki again. But here he's demonstrating he, can, he has compassion for his team. And that's a big trait for a red. Um, he's shown throughout that he can be a leader because he thinks about the threat and he thinks about how to assess it and how to deal with it. So he had that trait of, you know, being analytical and being a leader. But Takaru was very much lacking in the personality department. Um, To put him over the edge to become really great, um, to me, the thing that he still has to prove is consistently being compassionate for the team. more more involved with with what's going on like yeah he has this deep secret that he's not telling them that he can you know take out um uh crap the guy's name escapes me for a second um siamatsaru dokuku like he knows how to he knows how to steal that power but he should be able to tell his team about it and they should be able to discuss it and at least know this is a thing. But he's holding a lot of secrets. Like, I know for, from watching Samurai, there's a major secret coming up if they follow Samurai. Well, okay, Samurai follows Sinkenzer as closely as I think it does. That things like that should not be left from your team. That's not being a team player. That's, that's hiding some responsibility there. Well, I might work a little bit more on Shinkenger, but we'll get to that. Yeah. But so, I mean, do you, do you agree with my assessment of what makes the true red? I do agree with that. I, I think the main reason why Takeru might be popular for some people is because you have to understand that, you know, with some of the reds that came out before, like, we had two... Really? Okay. I like both of these reds, but they're both not exactly my ideal reds. Like, Geki Red... Okay, Geki Red isn't bad, but... Isn't he goofy? 
Yeah, but he's a goofball. I definitely prefer his Power Rangers counterpart. Yes, yes definitely. Um, go on, Red. I love him, but he's also not... He's also kind of a ditz. He's funny. I like him, but not an ideal Red. And even if we look past the Karu, the next Red is going to be uh, Al- Alata from Gosager, who... <clears throat> I'm just going to say, if Takaharu didn't exist, I would probably say that he's the most annoying um, red. He, he, was, he was bold for me. He just didn't do anything for yeah. me. So but I think that's the thing with Alata, that he did, he's not notable for doing anything important. So, like, when you put the Kiru up against, like, the, the two people in front of him and then the person behind him, he just seems much more amazing because he's so different from those other reds. Yeah. Right, but if you look at but if you look beyond that, marvelous. Um, Go Buster Red's also good. Red. Yeah, he was pretty good. Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at the three that came after um, him, because I don't even count Go Caesar as a real season, in my opinion. It was that bad. <laughs> I guess I, I, I'm just like. I don't know. I mean, Takeru was not my favorite Red Sentai Ranger. It, mine would probably be, uh, I mean, it would probably be Red Hawk from Jetman, but we're, we're, I'm just going to have to see what your opinion is on him next time. Yeah, but, uh, but I mean, like, the thing is, Takeru right now is where Zaito is for me from Dino Fury. Zaito is not an incredible Red. Zaito. It's just, you can't get a feel for him. Like, he's kind of not well-developed. But where Takaru has the knowledge and the leadership to really hammer home how to take care of uh, Dokuko and his people, Zaito didn't have as much of that, but he has the teamwork and the personality to get along with his teammates. Which makes him a decent red. So, both reds have a lot to learn. Um, yeah. You know, I, that, my, my personal opinion is that Zaito is nowhere even near like the top 10. He's like probably edging into top 15, probably, I think. But Takaru right now, it's still really early. There's still a lot he could do here to... And you still have to see more Sentai. Exactly. There's a lot of Sentai I haven't seen, but what I have seen, I've seen a good bit here and there. You know, I haven't watched all the full seasons, but of the newer stuff, I've seen most of it. Um, At least in pieces and bits here and there. And he has potential. He really does. But his personality just grated on me a lot in the early episodes. And so, seeing him take the step forward with Kotoha, that's an important step. And I want, I'm glad we took this time to kind of talk about that character development here, because I want to give props or props or due, right? Like, I don't want to just be yeah. constantly harping and saying, oh, hot garbage, hot garbage, because I don't truly want to be doing that. But in my, in my estimate... It's my duty to call him hot garbage when it, he has been hot garbage in my, because I'm giving my honest opinion then. 
So, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, but I think this is um, he he's done he's done good here, and I think I'm excited to see where we go with the next episode or two. So, Anthony, if you have anything you want to say here, Nate, please feel free. I kind of went off for a good bit there on this, much longer than I expected. <laughs> um, what I was gonna say was was that like I pretty much I pretty much like knew that. Takuru was just going to be like, hey, Kozaha, it's fine. Like, I understand that I'm the Lord and all that. I think for me, I think he doesn't like the role of being a Lord all that much. I've noticed throughout the most episodes, he's kind of like, he feels like he's been burdened with this this responsibility. He's just like, I don't want these people like to, to try to because I remember in the episode where they were fought, where they meet Juzo for the first time, and they fought that Gadoshu that pretty much injured all four of the Shikinjus because they were trying to protect Takuru because of the whole ceiling ceiling um uh, ceiling uh, Mochikawa thing. And like he just was like, "Why are these people? Why are these people trying to sacrifice themselves to save? They're they're acting as if I'm this you know grand savior now, and they're now they're treating me like you know with." With care more with more care than before, but they're not thinking about themselves trying to you know fight alongside me. I want them to fight for me. I want them to fight alongside me, and so that in this episode, Takuru is just basically like you don't have to go just go by how you feel. You don't have to take my advice or go with what I want. Have your own opinions. I think that's why he kind of like like Shiaki a little bit more because Chiaki kind of challenges him a little bit. You know, like, I mean, sure, he does, you know, hit him from time to time, but I think it's only because he's trying to, like, I guess, get, he's trying to make Ichaki better than what he already is. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's well, trying to, like, I guess, test I, him in a way. I think it goes two ways here, Anthony. I think he's trying to test Chiaki, but Chiaki is also trying to bring the best out of him as well. Mm hmm. Because. If you really look back, Siaki is the only one consistently saying, bro, you're hot garbage, do better and be better. You know, like, yeah. that, that's his thing. He, he's always trying to tell Takaru when he's wrong. He doesn't, he doesn't believe in the vassal and the lord thing where, oh no, I can never tell the lord anything. And yeah, I definitely... What you said about Takaru not wanting to roll, there's a scene in a later episode that we're going to cover tonight where that's really driven home hard. And we're going to talk about it in detail when we get there. And, sorry, I cut you off again. Go ahead. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. You're good. But honestly, I did like this episode, and I also like the fact that, like, Kotaha, I really do appreciate her, and that dude, uh, as much as much as how I guess sweet and I guess video she was a good person, whatever. But Kotaha deserves way better than any any dude that any dude that tries to date her. I'm sorry, like no dude is worthy of her in my opinion. No, yeah, no, absolutely not. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Honestly, honestly, I think the same is true for Mako at this point. Yeah, <laughs> Mako and Kotaha are just. They're really strong female sentai 
compared to like other females that I've seen in other seasons. Like, I'm kind of, I'm edging towards saying of the female Sentai's, female Sentai Rangers that I know, that they're probably at the very top in the top three. Mm-hmm. Like, as of right now, I mean, they they do better at, like, emotional tugging of the strings than most of the females I've seen in later seasons. I definitely agree with you on that. Yeah, for sure. So, Nathan, do you have anything you want to add? No, it was a pretty standard uh, filler episode. I did, I did love seeing uh, Kotoha pretend to be a spoiled brat at the end because you know she's not, and she's not doing a really good job at it. But it's dude, uh, it's kind of cute. To, to I see will say, that. I will say, I did laugh a lot when she started doing it, but at the same time, I was like, dude, this is a this is a big brain move she pulled here. Yeah, that was really smart. Like, this is something that I didn't expect from Kotaha. Mm-hmm. So I was really impressed with that. Do we have anything more on this episode? We spent a little bit of time talking about this one, but... Uh, Move on before I okay. say anything more. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next up, we get a two-part episode. <clears throat> uh, one of the first uh, big ones. Um, this is a debut of something. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. Um, so the first part is uh, Act 24, the rampaging uh, ghetto shoe. Uh, Act 23, I'm sorry. Um, so as this episode begins, uh, first of all, we're seeing that Dokoku has, you know, more power that's like, you know, that's, you know, erupting from his body, which is causing him to become more feral and angry. Uh, while the Shinkinjers are battling some giant Nanashi, uh, we discover that the Sanzu River water is starting to flood into the human world, and which is a result of the Ghetto Shu power increasing. So G decides that the Shinkinjers need to get a new weapon from the Tengen Gate. No, 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 Tengen Shrine. It was called the Tengen Gate in Power Ranger Samurai. I'm sorry about that. Um, the Tengen Shrine called an Inro which is like a black box. Um, Shitari, uh, one of the, uh, um, he is one of the uh, other villains. Uh, he was Octoru, this squid-like villain. Um, he recruits a ghetto shoe called Gozu Nagumo. We're just going to call him Gozu for the remainder of the recap. Um, he's this like scorpion, arachnid um, ghetto shoe. He comes up with a plan where he wants to kill Dokoku by finding out about the ceiling symbols. So they have. So while the Shinkinjers are at the uh, Tengen, uh, Tengen Shrine to obtain the Inromaru, uh, so a couple of things happen. Uh, first of all, we see some flashbacks uh, when Takeru is paying his respects to the graves of the previous uh, uh, Shiba head clans. Uh, we find out that there is a warrior who fell 200 years ago, and this is very important because we're going to find out more about that. Um, there was a warrior who fell 200 years ago, 
and he was killed by the ghetto shoe and nobody wanted to bury him anywhere else so they allowed him to um be buried at the tengen shrine the ghetto shoe attacked the tengen shrine just as they're receiving the enroyu um Tikeru is made unconscious because um shitari put some uh paralyzing potion in his um in his tea and while the other shinkinjers are trying to fight off the um the ghetto shoe they get defeated by gozu uh Genta attempts to save Takeru. Uh, he does stop Shitari from taking Takeru away so that they can find out about the ceiling symbol. But then Juzo Fuwa shows up. Juzo Fuwa was previously seen eating Genta's sushi and enjoying it. Um, and uh, the episode ends with uh, Gozu pretty much knocking out all of the Shinkinjers except Takeru and Genta and... Um, Juzo takes Takeru to an unknown location. This then moves uh, on to the second part, uh, Act 24, the true samurai combination. Um, a little bit of, um, a little bit, uh, as the episode begins, G gives Genta the Enroyu. It's revealed that the Enroyu has the ability to combine all the powers of the Shinkinder's origami. And because Genta has such a vast knowledge of Mochikara and his electronic Mochikara, he's able to unlock its full potential. Uh, most of the episode, uh, we get a little bit of a flashback. Um, Takeru is revived by Juzo by putting him into the sacred waters of a lake that cures Ghetto's shoes poison. Uh, Takeru was curious why Juzo wants to battle him, and in a flashback, it's revealed that 200 years ago, and uh, Juzo was this savage warrior who just loved to, you know, fight and kill people because, you know, he's just crazy, um, which led him to becoming corrupt and turning into the human ghetto shoe that he is now. Uh which Takeru then realizes that he is the one that's buried at the Tengen Shrine. And he, and he, Juzo wants to battle so that he can satisfy his appetite for battle and rest in peace. Uh, while this is happening, Genta is able to uh, continue uh, working on the Enroyu and transforms it into a new, um, kind of like a morpher device. It's called the Enromaru. That's what it's going to be called for the rest of the series. The other Shinkin, and he's able to complete it by creating a new uh, disc made from the discs of the other Shinkinjers. Um, Juzo, meanwhile, claims that he wants to battle Takeru because he feels that they're not much different, which, uh, since they're both very unconventional in their means of, of samurai. But before they can fight, Genta arrives and takes Takeru away, and for the rest of the episode, uh, what happens is that the Shinkinjers arrive to battle against Gozu once again. Genta arrives with the completed Enromaru, and the Enromaru allows the Shinkinjers to unlock a new power-up mode, uh, which um, is just called Super Mode. Um, the Shinkinjers uh, get this white sleeveless two-tailed coat with shoulder pads. Over it and now, now it should be noted only one Shinkinger can access this at a time. So all five, all five of them can't do it at the same time, uh, which uh, kind of 
ducks a little bit. I think this is the first time that a power-up mode has been like this in Super Sentai. Uh, but I guess it kind of makes sense. Um, they can uh, they attach the Inro Maru to the uh, back of their Shinkin Maru when it just enhances their powers. Uh, Takeru transforms into Shinkin Red, uh, Super Shinkin Red, pardon me, and defeats uh, Gozu. Then, when the Gozu enlarges to his giant form, uh, we're also introduced to these uh, new foot soldiers here called Sakamatas, I believe they're called, which are these big, like, mouth-like foot soldiers that uh, just shoot lasers. They were called Spitfangs in a Power Ranger Samurai. They kind of resemble, like, dragon-looking things. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, the Inromaru comes with another power, which, you know, with the ability to uh, combine, uh, you can probably guess, based on what G said, um, because the Inromaru combines the power of the origami, this allows the Shinkinders to combine their origami, so we get a couple of combinations. So the first, uh, the Shinkinders can combine Shinkino with Ginta's Dakayo to form Dakai Shinkino, which, despite being a samurai-themed series, looks a lot like a cowboy. I'm not going to lie, because, I don't know, it's got, like, the big, like, it's got a hat on that looks like a cowboy hat. And those little silver things that are like visible on the on the thighs, it, it's part of uh, the of the Ebi Origami's tail, but they attach to the Megazord to the uh, to its thighs. It looks like silver things that a cowboy wears on his pants. So it looks more like a cowboy than a than a samurai to me, but that's just me. Um, uh, they can also combine the. Uh, Ika Origami with Dai Tenku to form a cannon called the Ika Tenku Buster, which is pretty cool. I really like that. And they use these two combinations to defeat uh, to defeat Gozu. And the episode ends with uh, Takeru visiting Juzo's grave. And he remembers what Juzo said to him uh, before the Shinkinjers get together and they decide sushi and that's how it ends uh so i think the big takeaway from this episode is juzo's backstory which is a lot different from his power rangers counterpart story that's definitely for sure um a little bit of a weird fact about this episode um when it was adapted into samurai so uh when Samurai adapted this episode, they actually cut out the uh, Super Mode debut because they wanted to introduce Super, Super Samurai Mode for Super Samurai, and they still had a few episodes before that happened. So they filmed this original footage of Gozu escaping at the end and then just throwing in some giant Mooger battle. And then they take the footage from later on and just explain that this. Nylock that just disappeared has just all of a sudden come back. And, you know, they have to fight and they do Super Samurai mode. That was just lame. Definitely shows how stupid the Super season was in general. I really just wanted to bring that up. That was lame. Um, 
what did you guys think of this of these two episodes? Go ahead, Anthony. Oh, I like them definitely. Um, these were I actually remember these episodes very fondly when I was first watching Shikinger. Um, when it first, you know, when I first watched it all those years ago, these two episodes stuck out very fondly because, like, you know, especially with you know more um develop, development between Takaru and Juzo's rivalry, alongside with you know just how far the team is willing to go to, you know, like help out Takaru and their their relationship and their bond and stuff like that. Okay. Uh what about you, Riz? I greatly enjoyed this for two big reasons. The first big one is I like getting more footage of uh Genta using his electronic uh Mojikaru. Mojikaru, yeah. yeah. It's nice to see more footage of him using it because it's always been a fascination to me that he took this thing and he made his own way of producing it without having to memorize all these symbols and stuff. And it's it's just fascinating to think about that he literally created the thing they needed from his mind without knowing the symbology as well as the other five do. That's why he's the GOAT. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's really cool he did that. I mean, so Genta always struck me as like this goofy, crazy, um, not serious uh Sentai Ranger but he also is wildly incredible when you really look at him beyond his silly goofiness. And this is one example of where he really signed in my opinion. Um the other thing, I mentioned two things in this episode. Um like Anthony mentioned, the devotion that the four had for their lord, that they were trying to fight getting out of bed to go find him, and coming to the sad realization that they can't until they're better. It was a nice, it was a nice feeling, you know, seeing that. And, I mean, it was cool seeing uh, Zuzu and Takaru, like, building the rivalry, but I want to see more of it before I'm like, really really drawn into it you know yeah yeah because it it it's a great reveal the entire Zuzo backstory is a great reveal but it needs time to fester now that it's out there if that makes sense you know like yeah we need to see it develop more mm-hmm. so what do but, you guys think of the super mode uh i mean it makes sense that only one person can use it at a time. I like the cape. Capes are always cool. Um, yeah. I, I actually didn't... I don't think I really realized that this is part of Sentai until I watched it. I assumed it was something that America did. No. No, definitely not. So it was nice to see that this is part of Sentai and not just something that America made up. I'm cool with it. It's not overkill like some other power-up modes. 
Yeah, Pretty I subtle. mean, it's a cool way to utilize their origami to un- unify stuff. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Overall, solid two-parter. I I give it two thumbs up. Wait. Uh, what did did you want to give commentary on Super Mode, Anthony? Well, I definitely loved it. Um, one of like the things I like about it the most is that like it's it's pretty simple. It's not like anything like too crazy, outlandish. It's simple and it's intricate. And I just love the like I actually own the figure itself of him of him as Chicken Red, uh, Super Form. So I had the figure. So it's sweet. Yeah. Okay, so a brief thing before we... Uh, anybody else have anything to say? No. Okay. Um, a brief thing before we move on to the next act. Um, at least according to the Ranger Wiki, uh, between these two episodes, we have the Shinkinger movie, The Fateful War. Um, not... Um, it, there's not... I didn't watch it. Um, I... But I do know what happens. Um, it's mostly just the Shinkinders having to battle against a different type of ghetto shoe. Um, this yeah. one guy, and they use um, uh, they're called um, Kisare ghetto shoe. I think Kisare means rotten in yeah. Japanese. Um, and like every Sentai movie that was coming out at this point, we get uh, we get the introduction of a new mech. Um, which, in Shinkinger's case, also introduces a power-up mode. We're not going to talk about that just yet, though, because we're actually going to get a revelation of what that mech is in an actual episode that we watch, so let's not spoil that for anyone. Um, so, yeah. Um, point is, is that the Shinkinders technically have a new mech and a new, uh, and a new power-up mode after this episode as well, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, and for the record, uh, it's a tradition in Sentai. Um, I think the the um, I think the earliest I can remember is uh, Ranger, at least, where there would be a movie and there would be a a mech that's exclusive to that movie, and they're not really special. It's mostly just like take a, the mold of a mech toy and just give it a new coat of paint, and then. Just give it like some very minor superficial features. Um, I think uh, for Power Rangers audiences, I think the one that people might remember uh, is I think it was called Bright Star. It appeared in one episode of Mystic Force. It was this unicorn Zord. Um, but, yeah, um, that was the movie mech for Maji Ranger. It's basically just take uh, the uh, Korag's horse sword but paint it white and give it a horn and then voila you got a you got a new mech so because you know they want to save money that's the main reason (laughs) um but anyway uh let's move on to the next um episodes we get another two-parter act 25 is called the dream world um this episode starts off about as hilarious as you can imagine. <laughs> Where, um, so first off, um, Takeruna um, has told the Shinkingers about how Juzo wants to battle him and how when they meet again, they're going to have to battle. Ryunosuke and Chiaki don't want him to fight. Um, 
Mako prepares to make food, and the Kuro couple have medicine on standby in case everyone gets sick. That's just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, why didn't they do this joke in, in Samurai? Like, Samurai, they overdo the, <laughs> me, I can't cook, get it? <laughs> and yet, this one joke that they do in this episode is funnier than anything they did with that gag. Because they, they, don't, they don't try, because Neo Saban is hot garbage. Yeah. Um... So meanwhile, on the Sanzu River, uh, Dayu is, um, um, gets in trouble with Dokoku because she was told to kill Juzo in the previous episode, but she didn't, and Dokoku destroys her shamisen, which causes her to become terrified, and she flees. Um, Mako encounters Dayu while she's out buying cookbooks, and... They run into another ghetto shoe, which puts people to sleep. This ghetto shoe in particular <clears throat> uh, has his own dream world where he puts people to sleep and creates misery by having them see their dreams only for their dreams to come crashing down. So, um, in the middle of the battle, uh, Genta is put to sleep. Uh, Mako and Kotoha chase Dayu, only for both of them to be put to sleep. As well, uh, Koto, uh, no, no, Kotoha goes chasing after Mako, but she does, doesn't get put to sleep. Takeru creates, uses his Mojikara to allow Ryunosuke and Chiaki to enter, but he can't enter himself because he's weakened. So while Ryu and Chiaki are fighting against the Ghetto Shu in Ginta's little dream, where his dream is that his sushi is loved all around the world, uh, in Mako's dream world, we see flashbacks of Dayu's past. Um, basically, Dayu's past is that she was a woman who was in love with a man that didn't love her back. And while the man was celebrating his engagement to another woman, she, because she was crazy, set his house on fire and tried to kill everyone in there, including himself, including herself. And when the man still wouldn't love her, even when he was about to die, she became corrupted, and that is how she became Dayu, and her shamisen was formed from his ribcage. Because, you know, this is a kid show, so that makes perfect sense. That This was not done in Power Rangers, by the way. Talk about your fatal attraction, huh? Mm-hmm. Um... Ryo and Chaki expel the Ghetto Shu from the Dream World, uh, Takeru, um, and the episode ends on quite a few cliffhangers. Ryu and Chaki are still fighting the Ghetto Shu. Takeru and Genta have to fight off a group of uh, giant Nanashi with the uh, Dakai Shinkano and Ikatenku Buster. And the episode ends with Kotoha getting injured protecting Mako. Ryu and Shaki still um, battling against the Ghetto Shu, and Juzo shows up to challenge Kotoha, I mean, uh, Takeru to a battle. That then leads us to the next part, decisive match number one, where pretty much uh, Mako takes Kotoha to safety. Uh, Mako was, you know, curious to see if Daigu could be turned back into a human, but um, of course that's not going to happen. Uh, 
Rio and Chucky drive off the ghetto shoe and sure a group of um a group of uh Nanashi's um interfere, Juzo agrees to give Takeru another day to another day to rest and challenges him to a fight at the beach, threatening to kill people if he doesn't go through with it. Takeru agrees, and even though Ryunosuke insists that he shouldn't that he shouldn't, um, Takeru, he eventually agrees. And pretty much the way that the rest of this episode plays out is that um, the other Shinkinders battle against the Ghetto Shu. Ryunosuke uses the Enromaru to transform into Super Shinkin Blue for the first time. They, de- they defeat the Ghetto Shu, and Takeru and Juzo get into their one-on-one fight, which is a really awesome fight, by the way. Although, I don't think it's quite on par with uh, Mar- with uh, any battle that Marvelous and uh, Bosco had. I mean, at least not yet. Uh, and it ends with uh, Takeru um, ta- intentionally taking a blow. Like, he intentionally gets stabbed so that he can get in close. And he breaks... Uh, Juzo's Uramasa sword in half and then slashes him and sends him flying off the edge of a cliff. The episode ends with Takeru being congratulated. Ginta makes some special sushi. Mako prepares to study how to cook. And yeah, that's how this episode ends. Um, Pretty neat two-parter. You guys want to give your commentary on that? You're damn right. No fight has come close to Marvelous and Bosco, dang it. (laughs) Um, since I made that comment I'll go first Anthony that's fine (laughs) okay so I'll be really quick about this one the fight was really cool obviously not on terms of what I said but it was still a good fight Um, however the single most important part of this two-parter was that final exchange between Ryanowski and Takaru prior to the fight where he's trying to stop him from going to the fight. Um, in this case, heavy development for Ryu here, because normally he's a, oh my god, the Lord said this, I must follow. Oh my god, the Lord did this, I must do what the Lord did. But here you're seeing for one of the first times him defying his Lord and... Um, trying to, you know, protect him and tell him what's better than what he thinks he knows for himself. So, really good development here in that is finally becoming his own man and not just blindly following some lord because of some feudal contract they have. Yeah. And I pass it off to Anthony. Yeah, um, I definitely agree with you on that one. Um, like I said, the fight, the fight was actually really good, and especially like the stuff with uh, Dayu, like the fact that this woman is just, just insane. It's like wow, like you can't just find nobody else, lady. Like you, like, my God, like <laughs> yeah, they they really had to do a lot of uh, uh for, um for for those that may not have seen Power Ranger Samurai, uh, since we have both of the backstories uh. Uh, revealed now, we could just say it. They kind of mixed the backstories between Dayu and Juzo in Samurai to where they were both uh, 
they were both uh, lovers, and then they were, married, you know, they were married. I think. Yeah, they were married, and then he almost got killed in a fire, and then she kind of sold his soul to become a Nylock, and then she had to sell her soul too. I mean, it's more sympathetic, but I think these backstories are a bit darker. <laughs> yeah, and, and it I kind of like really like. If they explain like oh um like Dayu and freaking uh Decker were like I guess from the very 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 distant past as to why that why shouldn't then she just if if this was like I say I could see for instance like this was like oh these characters are from like a distant past where like the technology wasn't really advanced. Or like, oh, why didn't she get somebody to help her, or like something? You know what I'm saying? Like, she had other, she could have had other options, but I guess they, it, for Samurai, they had just come up with something. So I can't really be like, can't really. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and just say they, they just could, they just couldn't at the time because it was, you know, ancient times, or he, they just couldn't have, you know, time to get help or anything. I don't know. Maybe they were like in the woods somewhere where nobody was there. Yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to add? Um, I li- also like the like the fact the uh, the dream the dream sequence and stuff. It's actually pretty funny too. That 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 was pretty amazing. Like especially the whole thing with <laughs> Chicken Green just grows to it like a giant and he just kicks the freaking boulder and like knocks Rinosuke too. That was pretty funny. Yeah, that, yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> Okay, well, next up, uh, I don't know if we could call these next two episodes a two-parter. Uh, they're both fillers, but the events of the episode we're going to cover next do kind of play a part in the episode that comes after. So I guess it's kind of a two-parter. Uh, you it's, get... it's a two-parter. Okay. Um, and the people who are listening can just decide for themselves, too. So... Uh, Act 27, called Switch Lives, we get a Chiaki-centric episode. Um, so, we get a ghetto shoe, his name is Abekonbi, who has the ability to switch human bodies with objects. So, like, in one case, he, like, switches the body of, like, a human with, uh, with, uh, let's say, like, uh, like a lamp. So the per- the human soul is in the lamp, and then their body is just going to be standing still like a lamp. So pretty much something like that. Um, when the Shinkinjers go to fight, um, they get turned in. Um, Takeru, Ryunosuke, Mako, and Genta all get turned into. Uh, all get fall victim to the spell. Now Genta falls victim early in the episode. Um, I don't even think he had actually transforms into Shinken Gold in this episode. Um, Genta gets put into a piece of sushi, um, which causes his body, him to, like, you know, wrap up into a ball. Uh, Takeru switches bodies with a cat piggy bank. Mako gets switched with a fan. And Ryunosuke get switched with a statue of a naked boy peeing, which 
You can't do that in Power Rangers now, can you? Um, uh, that's hilarious, by the way. <laughs> that's a really funny joke, I'm not gonna lie. Because, like, cause like, like, you know, unzips his pants to do something, and then Kotoha is like, ah! And then she has to look away, and then they have to put him in the bathroom for the rest of the episode. It's hilarious. Um, one one quick note here before we go too much further. Um, it's not super relevant here, but it is good to kind of mention it. The cat statue that you mentioned that Takura turns into is actually, I think it's the mannequin Neko, which is a uh-huh. common Japanese figurine, which is often believed to bring good luck to the owner. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I see it a lot um, at like restaurants and stuff. So it's a pretty yeah. common thing. Okay. Um, and pretty much the rest of the episode is just Chiaki and Kotoha trying to figure out how to work together to defeat the Ghetto Shoe and uh, they end up uh, using a pretty uh, clever scheme where they force uh, the Ghetto Shoe to uh, switch bodies with Chiaki and thus force him to reveal how to reverse the spell. And they do. Um, it should be noted, uh, these are the events that play into the next episode. Uh, Genta's body is at risk. So whenever the object that the person's body has soul has been placed in is destroyed, that person dies. So Genta is at risk because the sushi that he's trapped in could go bad, and he later gets cornered by a cat. The cat almost eats him, but luckily he gets put back just before he, uh, just before he gets eaten. Uh, Kotoha and Chiaki defeat Abekombi together. Um, Genta is still traumatized from what happened at the end of the episode, and a big thing is that at the very end of this episode, we get this mysterious ghetto shoe that appears in the Sanzu River, one that we haven't seen before. Uh, you want to give co- uh, what since uh, you guys want to give commentary on this brief episode briefly, or do you want me to continue with the next one? Let Let's talk here real quick, and we can move on because while it's a two parter, they're not super related at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, the The thing I really want to mention here is the continued development of Siaki and Kotaha. And their teamwork in this episode was phenomenal to me. So, yeah, everything else is fine. Like, haha, okay, he's a cat. Haha, they took a photo of Takaru with the whiskers because Tsuyaki's a kid and he drew whiskers on the Lord because why the heck not? You know, it's all good fun. But the thing that really struck out was the really cool development of Tsuyaki and Kotaha. Like, they were kind of um, uncertain of their abilities because they're the youngest of the group. So, I think that's my favorite part of it. Mm-hmm. Anthony? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, this, was, this was an alright episode. Um, I don't have much to say about it, really. It's just, you know, it was just decent. Okay. Well, that moves on to the uh, next episode where we get the debut of a new companion for the Shinkengers. 
Um, this episode is called The Lantern Samurai. Um, so as the episode begins, we find that Ginta is still traumatized. Um, so he's developed a fear of sushi because he almost died while he was in sushi. So he can't use his sushi changer because it's themed after sushi, which means that he can't be Shink and Gold, and he wants to retire, basically. Uh, the other Shinkenders try to help him uh, overcome this fear. Uh, both Mako and Kotoha try to eat food that they hate. And uh, by the way, Kotoha, uh, you don't like to eat natto. Uh, I understand why. My girlfriend loves that. I... <laughs> I relate with you, Kotoha. That food smells terrible. <laughs> you have a very good point. So I relate with you there. I can't remember what uh, Mako one uh, was afraid to eat, but yeah, that's that was just funny. Um, what exactly is that dish? I'm not familiar. It's it's like some beans that is like you know wrapped like. With, like, some sticky stuff. It's like, you know, like, it's frozen together. It's a type of bean. It's uh, not really... We call natto. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure what Mako was trying to eat was a type of vegetable, but I can't, I can't remember. Um, Kichiru has a fear of haunted houses... Which, uh, I think they established that in a previous episode, because, uh, there was, like, a flashback of G taking him to a haunted house as a kid, and he got so scared that he peed himself. So, it's kind of funny to see him get freaked out over that. Um, pretty much nothing works, so Genta decides that since he's gonna leave the Shinkinjers, he's going to create a new ally. He tries to use his mochi car to create a new ally out of the paper lantern that he that's hanging on his sushi cart. Um, all sushi carts tend to, a lot of restaurants in a Japanese culture tend to have uh, paper lanterns, you know, to like help be light and like you know drive off evil spirits. Uh, we meet the mysterious ghetto shoe from before. Um, he introduces himself to Dokoku and Shitari. His name is Akumaro. Uh, he pledges to help Dokoku defeat the Shinkinjers. Uh, he's basically the monster of the day here. Although, he's not a monster of the day because he's still going to be a general. Uh, and pretty much the climax of the episode is that... Um, Akumaru is battling against the Rangers, um, and he's easily defeating them. Um, he's able to create a monster out of paper called a Kirigami, which grows giant, which forces the Rangers to get split up. Uh, G helps Genta overcome his fear of sushi by literally shoving a piece of sushi into his mouth, because I guess that works. Um, and Genta overcomes his fear of sushi and becomes Shinken Gold. But he completes his project and is able to turn his paper lantern into a paper lantern-like mech. A mini mech, not like a huge giant mech. Um, this mech has artificial intelligence, so he can float around and talk. And his name is Daigoyo. Uh, he's able to wheel Daigoyo in battle. Uh, Daigoyo has a catchphrase, Goyo, Goyo, which is funny. Um, mm -hmm. 
He also has this new sword, and uh, Genta uses his new weapon to fight off Akumaro and force him to retreat. And then he's able to enlarge Daigoyo and combine him with the sword to form just a giant form. It, he's not, it's not really given a, a typical form, um, uh, an official formation name. Uh, they defeat Akamaro's uh, Kirigami, and the episode ends. Uh, well, um, it ends on a pretty bit of a funny note because apparently uh, um, Gento reveals that he themed uh, Daigoyo after these fighter, after these firefighters. I can't remember what they were called, but they were like police officers and firefighters that would shout out Goyo Day, Goyo Day during the Edo era. And Ryunosuke points out how they're not samurai, and that makes, and get this like, eh! So that's pretty funny. Um, and that's how this episode ends, so uh, what did you guys think about this? Go go first, Riz, or me? Go for it, man. It's all you. Oh, I like this episode. Um, it was actually pretty good. And, like, to go back to the episode previous, um, I actually did like like the episode where like Chiaki and like Kotaha were able to like you know bond and like actually be able to fight off a Kadoshu by themselves. That was really interesting. Uh, with this episode, I really like the the dynamic between like them fighting against the new enemy and the debut of another new ally for the Shikinjers. Because Akamaru is like one of the most entertaining villains I've ever seen in this well in this Sentai. Because like he's very charismatic. He he'll he like he is is not a, a talker and he actually will show off and actually will beat you in a battle. Like he's not all talk, he's action too. Like uh, yeah. especially like like that he, you know, essentially just toying with them at that point. Like he could easily have just killed them right then and there, but he chose not to. He's like I kind of want to see what y'all do later on, so I'm just gonna keep y'all keep y'all alive for now. And the mm-hmm. fact that like, if it wasn't for the fact that Dokoku had like injured him earlier, I honestly think he probably would have taken taken out Genta too. Yeah. Uh, Riz, your thoughts? I enjoyed this. I think the coolest part was seeing, once again, Genta using his Mojikata in a very unique way and actually creating a new companion for the Senkenzers in their fight against the Gendosu. So, to me, that was the coolest part. Um, I'm glad at the end Z just stuffs a piece of sushi on the dude's mouth so that he gets over his Susie phobia. Uh, overall, pretty good episode. It was a bit of filler, but it was a good filler, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Indeed. All right. Uh, next up, we get another filler episode called The Runaway Lantern. Um, I'll cut this episode. Uh, I'll make it a short and sweet. The Shinkenders are battling against a um, ghetto shoe that can uh, clone himself, which makes things difficult. Genta and Daigoyo get into a fight because Daigoyo was constantly criticizing Genta's sushi making. Daigoyo runs away and applies to 
a bunch of different jobs, which of course he's not able to get because he's a flying paper lantern and who's going to hire a flying paper lantern? Mako tries to make him feel better, but of course he just rejects them. Then they find Igoyo working at a fried chicken stand where, you know, uh, Genta and Daigoyo make up in a scene where you don't know whether you're supposed to be laughing or crying. <laughs> Not helped by the music that's playing in that scene. Uh, the Shinkinders battle against the monster again after Genta and Daigoyo make up. Uh, we get to see Super Shinkin Pink for the first time. Uh, Mako uses uh, Super Shinkin Pink in this episode. And they defeat the Ghetto Shoe, and Genta and Daigoyo continue their little father-son relationship. Um, the only thing I'm going to say about this episode is the I'm just going to again repeat that that scene where Genta and Daigoyo are making up, it's like, am I supposed to laugh or cry? And I'm doing both, because it's just, it's both hilarious and emotional at the same time. I don't know what else to say. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys want to add anything? Can I just say that, like, Mako's actress is a, is very talented. Like, to be able to get that much emotion while just hugging an inanimate object. Well, it, well, I know it's not an inanimate object in in the show, but in reality, she's literally hugging like a prop. But she managed to make it. So compelling to to, to to you get the emotion behind it. That's what I like about the show and these actors. Like they know how to express their emotions so perfectly in the show. It just it's brilliant. And it was a nice little nice little filler, you know, it was you know, nothing too story driven, but I still enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Uh Riz. I greatly enjoyed seeing Daigo Yu for the most part. He's really funny as a character, honestly. He might be my favorite uh, <clears throat> robotic assistant character. Um, some of the other ones, uh, I think he's better than Navi from uh, No Tiger. Um, yeah. better, better, better than maybe Bomper. From Goanger, would you say, Anthony? I I would say yeah. Yeah, I think Bopper was cute. She was fine, but I don't know. Daigoyo is just funny, right? Like, and there's going to be other scenes. Like, I don't know. Uh, okay, th- there's one scene that he does in like the in-game story arc with him and Gint. Well, first of all, what makes him hilarious is how he and Ginta work off each other, like. And there's this one scene in, like, the final five episodes that just makes me laugh all the time. I can't spoil it, because I don't want Riz to um, be spoiled for that. But yeah, he's he's awesome. I love Daigoyo. Did you guys want to add anything else? No, I'm good. Okay. No, yeah, I'm good, too. Yeah. All right, next up, we got a filler episode, Act 30, The Manipulated Academy, where uh, Ryunosuke and Kotoha work undercover uh, at a private school. Uh, Ryunosuke is posing as a student teacher, and Kotoha is a new student. Um, since the uh, students were shown to be acting strangely during a ghetto shoe attack, 
most of the episode revolves around Ryunosuke and Kotoha trying to discover who's behind um, the Ghetto Shu controlling them, while the other four Shinkinjers are basically just in the background. Um, they eventually discover <clears throat> that there is a Ghetto Shu that's basically controlling the students and teachers there, but with strings mounted... Um, like with these string-like bracelets, he's using that like a puppet show. But thankfully, they are able to force the Ghetto Shu to reveal himself, and they use some creativity to defeat the Ghetto Shu when he tries to use the students to shield himself. Uh, Ryunosuke uses Super Shinken Blue for the first time, which is um, which I don't like. I think this would have been a perfect episode for Kotoha to use. Super Shinken Yellow for the first time. Mm -hmm. But, whatever. Um, and yeah. And that's pretty much it. I don't really... I, this was just a standard filler. I don't really know what, what much more we could say about Act 30. What about you guys? It was okay. I didn't really have strong feelings about this episode, really. Um, I think... One thing that I just found amusing, because I'm me, Ryanosuke randomly stalking people and accusing them of being the uh, culprit when they're not was pretty funny. But beyond that, I have no other comments to make here. Anthony? Yeah, I honestly feel the same way. Okay. Uh, next up, we have the episode that I mentioned before, where we get the in-show debut of the Kyoryu Origami, and a, an episode literally called the uh, Kyoryu Origami. Um, the Shinkinjers battle against a ghetto shu called Azi Medoru, who is a follower of the main villain from the Shinkinger movie. We actually get some flashbacks to that movie as well. Uh, he kidnaps a boy and his nurse. Um, in a trap to lure the Shinkinders underground so that he can kill them. Um, but pretty much to kind of cut a long story short, I, that monster ends up taking Genta, the young boy, and uh, his nurse hostage, but thankfully the Shinkinders are able to see through his plan. Uh, Daigoryo gives Takeru the Kiryu disc again to allow him to access uh, what is called Hyper Mode. In Shinkinger, uh, hyper mode is, pardon me, um, hyper mode is pretty similar to super mode, except the, um, the uh, cape and the, the coat is colored red instead of white, except for the shoulder pads. Those are still, um, those are still white. Um, but more importantly, it transforms their Shinkin Maru into the Kyoryu Maru, which is this extremely overpowered sword that has a stretchable blade that is that's more like a whip which is awesome um so yeah Takeru becomes hyper shinken red they defeat um azimedoru and then when he enlarges they uh show off the kyoryu origami uh the kyoryu origami is basically a giant version of the kyoryu maru um, and it combines with Shinkano to form Kyoryu Shinkano, and it destroys uh, and it destroys that monster. And 
then the episode uh, ends with uh, the Shinkenders going back to play a card game that Takeru was sucking at. Um, yeah, this episode is really just nothing more than to just kind of show off the Kyoryu Origami to people who missed the movie. Um, at least that's what I got from this. What do you guys think? Anthony first. Let's see. I think this episode. Um, I honestly, it makes me really just hate the fact that the Gidoshu are just hot garbage when it comes to children. So yeah, I, I definitely hated the fact that you know that poor woman was being was being used by like and had to trick them into. into you know, going going into position we knew was a trap, but they had no choice. It because like she was not doing it for the game. You're still there, Anthony. I'm sorry. You hear me? Yeah, we yeah. can hear you now. Did you did, did you hear anything I said beforehand? You said we heard everything except like the last two sentences. I think. I think I, I said it was like um. I honestly didn't blame her for what, you know, for her tricking the chickadees because they obviously knew it was a trap. So, like, she was just basically doing that for the kid, and I don't even blame her for that. Yeah. Anything else? Um. I like how, I like, do like how the fact that they were able to outsmart this, uh, get so so well. It was pretty hilarious. Yeah. You want to give your commentary, Riz? Yeah, you ready for Riz's Hot Take Part 2? Sweet. Let's hear it. <laughs> so, like I mentioned earlier at Lord Butler, Takaru had become more fond of Kotoha, and they became like, more friendly, and he became less self-centered, in my opinion. It continues here. He he's sowing consistency, which I've been looking for. He he's engaging in playing a card game with his teammates, which okay, that's not a big deal really, but he he proudly and gladly accepted the punishment that came with it where they drew stuff on his face. And I mean <laughs> they they did a little callback to um the cat thing from a few episodes ago where they drew cat whiskers on him which I thought was kind of funny but yeah. <laughs> you know like the Takaru from the first couple of episodes would never be caught dead playing cards with his teammates much less letting them draw on him he says it's frivolous it's not worth our time let's go train to be samurai so I, I think that's that's great progress for him That doesn't seem like a hot take. It seems like a pretty reasonable one. I can definitely no. It's a hot. It's a hot take because he's hot garbage and he's. Oh, he's, okay. he's, he's, he's... oh my god! He, he, okay, no, 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 no. Hear me out. He's becoming hot garbage at being hot garbage. Huh? I. <laughs> No, I, I think I see what Riz is saying, but it's really hard to explain. No, it's not. It's super simple. He's become hot garbage at being hot garbage. 
So he's bad at being bad. Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, I guess... Okay, wait, you're gonna give us a headache if you use language like that, right? Do you know me? That's my specialty. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, on to the next one. What do you think of hyper mode, by the way, guys? I mean, I like it. Cool. It's just a replay of the, of the, you know, super form, but it's yeah. decent. Yeah. Sword itself is pretty cool. Yeah, the more you are, understand better. Like to see more of it. Yeah, because it was kind of off-putting to see just out of nowhere. Yeah. All right. Well, well next is time to wrap up the episodes. We got a two-parter now. Um, well, a lot of things happen here. Uh, we're just going to go over the full story. Um, it starts with Act 32, the Ushi Origami. Uh, Ushi means uh, cow or ox in Japanese. In this episode, the Shinkinjers meet a boy named Hiro, who is sleeping in the Shiba house with the origami. Uh, Hiro is part of a family that lives in the mountain where the Ushi Origami is kept. Uh, we find out from G that the Ushi Origami was made... Um, Kind of as a mistake, it's a big giant origami. It's a big giant cow with like a massive, uh, you know, cart um, behind it. And it was apparently so powerful that it couldn't be controlled. And so the uh, previous Shinkinger sealed it away in the mountain as a forbidden origami. And Hiro's family has been guarding that seal. Uh, Hiro, however is convinced that the Ushi Origami wants to be free and fight with the Shinkinjers. And he's created this disc, supposedly, that can control it, but Takeru isn't really, uh, isn't really buying it. Um, Akumaro, meanwhile, releases a ghetto shoe called Hapozu to locate the Ushi Origami as he wants to use it for himself. The Shinkinjers take Hiro back home to his grandfather. And while the Shinkinjers, um, uh, Hiro gets into a bit of a fight with his grandpa and runs away. And he goes to the cave where the Ushi Origami is sealed. And after being taunted by Hapozo, he undoes the seal and the Ushi Origami gets, um, gets released and starts rampaging through the city. And that's how, uh, well, oh, not through the city, the forest. Um, and that's how part one ends. Hiro is still trapped inside of the uncontrollable Ushi origami. And it also ends on a bit of a cliffhanger since Dayu is shown visiting the place where Juzo fell. Uh, Dayu has been wandering around these last couple of episodes. She's never been with the main villains anymore. She's basically been banished there. Uh, that then moves us to the second part, the Great Bull King. Um, the Ushu origami disappears, and the Shinkinjers are able to locate it using their other origami. Um, Hiro's grandfather tries to convince Tekeru to use a break disc to break Hiro away from the Ushu origami so that they can just destroy it for good. And it's revealed that Hiro's grandpa has so much resentment toward the Ushu origami because... 
um, Hero's father, so his son, also had the same passion to release and control it, but both he and his wife were killed, and Takeru doesn't want to do that because he claims that Hero's passion to release the Ushu origami can't be broken. So he wants to just save um he wants to save uh Hero and you know pretty much help to uh Hero achieve his own goal. There is a subplot that we briefly have where Akumaro approaches Dayu and offers to repair her shamisen in exchange for her help. And we find out that Juzo Fuwa is still alive. Um, he apparently survived that blow and he's hiding in the beach. Um, Dayu approaches him and he is offered to um, also have his Uramasa repaired by Akumaro in exchange for their help. Those two then intervene in a battle between uh, the Shinkinjers and the Ghetto Shu while they're trying to save the Ushu Origami, during which they battle against uh, um, pretty much all the Shinkinjers except Takeru um, before they get driven off. Uh, Juzo is wielding the sword of an Anashi from this, for most of the, these episodes now since his own sword is broken. Um... Takeru um, and Hapuzo um, end up in the cockpit of the Ushi Origami. And while they're in the middle of a battle, Takeru's grandfather gives his grandson a disc that his father created, you know, since he's taking Takeru's to heart. Hiro is able to use the disc to finally get full control over the Ushi Origami just before it can enter the city and destroy it. Takeru expels Hapuzu with Super Shinken Red, and then when Hapuzo um, enlarges, Takeru uses the new disc to take control of the Ushu Origami. And the Ushu Origami is awesome. It transforms into its own warrior mode called Mogu Dayo, and is able to destroy Hapuzo. And the episode ends with... Um, Takeru being given the disc from Hiro to fully control the Ushi Origami and the Shinkinjus bidding farewell. Um, Riz, you said that this was uh, probably one of your favorite episodes from the show so far, so how about you uh, give your comments on this episode? I was going to let Anthony go first. Okay, yeah, go ahead, Anthony. Definitely yeah, like this uh, two-parter with uh... The new uh new origami uh definitely love the fact that you know there's more you know origami out there that aren't just that, aren't, that you know the teenagers are not fully aware of, of of yet and the fact that this kid you know he's trying to prove to his grandpa like hey like you know this 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 origami can be controlled and like he has nation i'll give him that so you know kudos to him he was kind of annoying i'm not gonna lie to you. he was kind of annoying a little bit but he but he grew on me a little bit he's only annoying because he believes so strongly in the Utsu origami i think yeah 
I mean, I'm not saying that he's like knowing because of that. It's really more or less he just he has a way of like talk. Like he he, I swear, Jack, some kids, some kids, some kids in other places. This like this is a TV show because had this been, you know, my family, it's about my family like that. Oh, I would have got my ass whooped. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anything else? No, that's it. Okay, cool. So I'm going to break this down into separate conversations because it deserves it. So the first thing I want to say is I love the lore we're building here for the Siba family. Um, seeing another family not part of the vassal system that protects the Lord, but is still in servitude to the Siba family, and they have this task in the mountains. And that to me is a pretty cool backstory about the family and how how extensive this entire thing really is. Because, I mean, if you really stop and think about it, you see the Siba family has at least four other families loyal to it. And you see that they've retained all these guys running around in black ninja gi who do their bidding. They do all the work of, like, surveillance and finding out what they're fighting next and giving locations where big bads are coming and all that stuff. But you start to really get the sense that we've really just begun to scratch the surface of how deep and well-connected everything is, like the family with other resources. And I think that's pretty cool to like kind of start to see a little bit of that coming out. Um, because it implies that, yeah, this is, a, this is an ancient family order, but they're not just some, you know, hermits living in a cave that come out and every now and then they check on the world. But they have, like, different people in there that have their own jobs and their own, like, things. You know what I mean? Like, what do y'all think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... That backstory, that backstory alone, made this my favorite two-parter so far in Stenkinser that I've seen. Um, remember, I said at the beginning of this podcast that there's a line that Takaru said that really hit home for me. Yeah. Okay. The line that hit home was. When the old man said, I don't know how to talk to lords, um, I don't know how to deal with them, and Takaru's like, bro, I don't care about the lord stuff, just tell me what you know so I can learn about the Usu um, origami. Like, he's actively telling people that, you know, for generations have served his family, that he doesn't care about the title, he doesn't care about the niceties. He, he's there to get the information and handle business. He doesn't care. Like, that's, that's a huge step. Because in the beginning, he did care. He cared greatly about, you know, being the Lord. The responsibility is all on him. He can't accept that he has these uh, retainers that are supposed to be there to help him. He can't, he, he can't accept that there are people out there that like him. He, he must be all woe is me, and I can't, like, 
do anything. So for him to outright say, forget all that, talk to me like a human being, especially after he told that to Kotoha back in Lord Butler, dude, th- this is huge for him. Um, so I, it, it just, it really sinks in Takaru's growth as a character, and you can kind of start to see the impact that the other five Senkansers in Z have on him. I can see it, too. Like, I mean, it's a journey, right? Like, he literally was hot garbage. Like, he was, at the beginning of the season, one of the worst Rangers, in, in my opinion. But now he's moving into, okay... I'm a cool... He's a cool character. He's still got a lot to do, I think, before I can say he's a great Red. But he's definitely very likable now. Like, I like him. I don't dislike him anymore. I wonder what Patrick would have to say about that. Well, that's all I want Patrick here for the review. Yeah. We need to make sure he's back on next time. I told you yesterday, I wanted Patrick here for a reason. Yeah. But, yeah, so I, I guess we'll surprise Patrick next week um, by, you know, me suddenly telling him. Yeah. Um, aside from that, I mean, I don't really, I didn't really care too much about all the backdoor politics of Dayu and Akamata and all that, that didn't really... It didn't really do much for me. Like, okay, cool, it happened, but that's about it. It'll play a big part in the episodes we review next time. I know, but, you know, it's it's hard to... I think it's hard for me to care about these villains right now. Yeah, the villains in this season are pretty boring so far. Yeah, like, sorry, I think we can move into character development here a little bit, Nathan, if you want. Um, yeah, I kind of already covered my thoughts on Takaru, but just to talk about the villains real quick. They're super boring to the point where I barely remember who is who name-wise, and the only villain of note that I know by name, and I know his face, is Zuzo. Everyone else, they could literally not exist. You didn't like you think Dai you think Dayu was boring? I, I'm not as I'm not as in, interested in Dayu yet. What? I, I was interested in her the moment the moment like pop up on screen. That's just me though. I mean I guess but like I mean, she does stuff, but it it's just it didn't excite me yet, if that makes sense. And it's, it's, it's hard for me to tell if your excitement is because you've seen the entire thing already and you're kind of, you know, you're able to make the big picture jump there, but I don't have that yet. Right. So where I am right now, Dayu is meh to me. What about Akumaro? Which one is he again? The green one. Also, man. 
What? Okay. Uh, you know what? <laughs> Chris, you're killing me, bro. <laughs> In Rich's defense, he hasn't seen what Akamaro actually wants to do yet, so... Right, let me let me just <laughs> calm down. Look, look, look. You gotta take your wins here, Anthony. Take your wins. I said Takater is not bad. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. See what I can get. <laughs> yeah, well, we're talking about um, characters, so, okay. I, I don't think we should... I, I think we've covered Takeru as much as we can in all these episodes, so we don't really have to talk about him. Yeah, uh, no, we're done. Do we have any... Uh, do we have anything new for Ryunosuke? Um, I kind of mentioned it earlier, so, I mean... I'll yeah. read it, re- it real quick. That he's starting to grow a backbone when it comes to dealing with, like... Uh, he doesn't just say, yes, my lord, oh my god, my lord, yes, you're right, etc., etc. He's starting to grow a backbone in regards to how he handles Takaru. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Anthony? Uh, like, do we... Do we like Ryunosuke here on the podcast? I like him way better than I liked him when I when I first get started getting into the show. But like now, I I I've really grown to like him a little bit. Okay. Ryunosuke, I never disliked him. Honestly, like yeah, he was annoying in the beginning, but that was his personality trait because that's that's how he had to be written because you needed to have one of the four be that, oh my god, the lord this, the lord that. You have to have that. If you didn't have a character like that, this would be ruined, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, Do we want to say anything else about Mako? The only thing of note about Mako, to me, was the Paper Lantern episodes, where see made a connection with the Paper Lantern when he ran away. Yeah. Um, It just reinforced her motherly feelings of, like, being that mother hen to the group. Mm Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I mean, she didn't really... She didn't really get a lot of time, you know? I don't think she's had a... I can't think of the last focused episode we've had of her. Yeah, but to be honest, she's a character that doesn't really need any focus. I think she's just cool how she is. Agreed. See, see, definitely has the depth. I mean, I said it earlier, Mako and Kotoha are probably some of the best female Sentai Rangers that I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just want to have more focus on them because I think they're fascinating. Did you want to say anything, Anthony, about Mako? She's cute. <laughs> now nah, let me hey. stop. <laughs> okay, yeah, that is true. She is honestly the 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 heart of the team. Like like she yeah. is, of course, the the mother figure. She's always like, you know, they're just just she's always there to be to be a a, a, a shoulder to cry on when you know you're not. Feeling good, and she's actually done that before. That's that's her. That was actually a plot point in one of the episodes. So, 
Not not early, not not in these episodes, but like early on. Actually, no. In the episode with Daigoyo, that that's the perfect example right there. What about um Chiaki? I'm gonna oh. go Still ahead, Anthony. Still the best. Okay. I'm going to answer your question with a question. If you had to name a second in command for Takaru, would it be Tsuyaki or Ryanosuke in your opinion? Well, there's literally an episode where Ryanosuke takes charge in this little saga when Takeru isn't there, so it would have to be Ryanosuke. Correct, but also Tsuyaki is another strong second in command in that he doesn't take the crap from Takaru. He he thinks of things in his own way and whenever everyone else is kind of, you know, disposed of, Chiaki led Kotoha into battle to rescue their compatriots. Yeah, but did he lead because he's a natural leader or did he lead just because Ryunosuke and Mako weren't there? I wouldn't put Mako above either one of them as a leader. Mako's, Mako's definitely a leader in that she unifies everyone. She's a heart of the team, like Anthony said. Mm-hmm. But she's not, she's not a leader in that Sarge, let's go to war kind of thing. She's there as like the, oh, let me make sure you're okay. Okay, yeah, okay, fine, fair enough. Um, but what about Chiaki as a character in general? Like, he's still pretty awesome. Wait, who did you say was your favorite before this video, Riz? I don't remember. Uh, probably Chiaki. Is he still your favorite? Yeah. Okay. Uh, we don't really have to talk about Kotoha. She's Kotoha. That's that's fine. That's all that she needs to be. Yep. Um, unless somebody else has a statement, unless somebody wants to uh, disagree with that. No. Um, Genta. What do we think of Genta so far? He didn't, uh, because I still love Genta. He's a comic relief sixth ranger done correctly. And his relationship with Daigoyo was just making that even better. The introduction of Daigoyo made Genta a much better character, I feel. Like, he was always a pretty cool character, but this made it even better. Yeah, because the, the thing is, is that, like, he's a comic relief, but he has uses to the team. Because this is something, like, when it comes to comic relief rangers, okay, it's okay to have a comic relief ranger, but you have to have them have, be of some use to the team. Like, this is the reason why I can't stand... Dax from Operation Overdrive and think he's the worst ranger ever because like what use does he have to the team? He, there's nothing that you can offer. Let's look at another comic relief ranger. Like look at SPD. What does Bridge offer to the team? He's smart. His comic relief elements is that he's smart but he's socially awkward. Yep. Great. Yeah. He has knowledge of, like, fantasy-related stuff, which works in a season like Mystic Force. 
What's his tax offer? Oh, he's a stunt man, so he knows how to fight. Stunt fighting is not the same as real fighting. Oh, he well. has no use to the team other than to just be a goof, goofy guy because this is a TV show. You know, Genta has his use because he knows about Mojikara. He has his own little electronic, like, tech genius stuff. That's why, this is why he's part of the team. Not just to be some goofy guy that a TV audience laughs at, but because he has practical uses for the team. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah. Did you guys want to add anything? I'm just, I, because, like, I, I don't like it when people just have a goofy character that's there for no other reason, just so that a TV audience can laugh at them. You have to have a reason why the character exists. Exactly. Genta, he's goofy, but he is such a great utility to a team. Like, he literally created a brand new device that can use the this mystical ancient samurai stuff. And then he used that to make something that unified all the origami into this power-up mode that everyone can use now. Like, he's supremely important to the team. Yep. And, like, when I, first, when I first met Genta, I didn't like him, but I've grown to like him a lot now. Would you, um, would you say he's better than Guy, Riz? Yeah, I'd have to agree with that. So I guess that means that he's the best sixth ranger of the ones that you've seen all the way through. Yeah, so far he is. Um... Can we say that, um, you know, just while we're at it, like, okay, I know that you're gonna like Marvelous more than Tekeru, and uh, I think I can say with confidence that Joe was better than Ryunosuke. Um mm -hmm. I think we we you would probably say that Chiaki is better than Doc. Um, yeah. Yes, definitely. Do you think the girls are? Do you think the Shinkin girls are better than the Gokai girls? That's a tough. That's a tough one. I, I... I'm not. I'm not going to answer that without saying they're in the same league. Yeah. Kotoha versus oh Kotoha versus Luca. I don't want to give myself a headache having that conversation. I'm not yeah. saying that. So here's what I'm going to say about this. <sighs> Mako and Ahim fill the same role for both teams. Mm. They're the unifying, um, you know, character that kind of is the heart of the team when you really look at it. They're homely, they're kind, they're loving, they're supportive. And so... They both fill the same need, in my opinion. Um, so I can't, I can't say one's better than the other, because they're both really fantastic. Now, Luca is very different from uh, Kotaha. Luca is a bonafide badass. He don't take no crap. And she's a strong fighter. And she's renowned for this. Like, you know, she's a 
she's also really good at just being funny in a way, you know, like she's an enjoyable character. But Kotaha brings something different than Luca, which is why I will not compare them, is that Kotaha just brings that feeling of kawaii and like cuteness and little sister kind of vibe, you know? Which plays in very well with Mako. Yep. What do y'all think? Hmm. I think they're both great characters. I think it's really, it's not really fair to compare them both. You, you can't. I mean, it's why I said earlier that these two are among the top female Sentai rangers I've seen. And I purposely didn't say who was number one, two, three, and four, because I can't. They just kind of stared at that top-tier good female ranger vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, just like you can't, you can't necessarily rank all the reds as good or bad based off a of criteria because Marvelous works because he's stoic and a badass, but someone like Yamato also works because he's, um, you know, he's down to earth. He's, he works hard. He's a good red. I mean, he, he just all around a good guy. It's the same kind of thing. You can't necessarily compare and say, well, Marvelous is better than Yamato or Yamato is better than Marvelous because they do things so differently that you can't fairly say one's better than the other, in my opinion. Yeah. Which is why I struggle sometimes with these brains or things on the American side to say, here's my fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, because after a certain point, they all kind of blend together in my mind. Yeah. Um, you know, I can obviously say Andrews, Carter, and West are the top, but beyond that, they all kind of start to feel the same because they all have their own different traits and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that wraps up the characters for now. Uh, that wraps up this for now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, um, yeah, uh, sh- point is, uh, to kind of recap everything that's happened with Shinkinger, uh, we have, um, we have a new villain, we have a new power-up mode, and we have quite a few new mechs. Uh, what will happen next? Well, you guys will have to catch us in the next video when we take a look at episodes 34 through 43 of Shinkinger. Um, hopefully, Patrick will be able to join us for that one. Uh, we hope you guys have enjoyed this video as we return to our journey of a samurai. We have two more videos for Shinkinger um, before we wrap up this series. Uh, we hope you guys will join us for that. If you did enjoy this video, please give this video a like on YouTube and uh, subscribe to our channel if you're not already subscribed. We appreciate everybody who listens to us on Spotify and iTunes. Uh, Please check us out at AnimeSecrets.org and follow us on all of our social media pages, that being Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. 
Um, once again, we thank you guys for joining us here, and we will see you guys next time when we continue our Shinkinger review. But until we return to our samurai journey, we are going to be once again uh, taking a break from the journey. So, but until we begin again, we will see you guys next time. So, see you later.